Guayaquil, Ecuador, I was able to do my my service as a deacon for six months there, which I think is was probably one of the bigger graces that I've received. Um, I got a call one one night from Sister Mary Carbon, um, who's asking if I could go visit a, um, a girl who was pregnant, but it was not looking too good. It was looking like she was going to lose her baby. Um, she was a member of the home, and her and her husband were both doctors, and they were both very strong in their faith. They were they were great examples. They both uh, took a lot of time out to get a serious formation, and they were um, they lived daily mass. It was it was great to see. The sad thing was though, is that they weren't able to have children. So when she finally was able to bring a child to, I don't know what term she was in, but it, she was pretty well along um, in her pregnancy. The doctors told her that the. I think it was the placenta never really grabbed on, so it was basically hanging by a string, and she was going to leave the, she the, she was going to lose the baby. And uh, that day when I had visited her, she had just been with the doctors and the doc looking for help, obviously. And uh, the help that they were going to offer her was to basically vacuum it out. That's what they had said to her. And she was a doctor herself, and she was extremely offended at their their advice and their their professional help in that situation. So she was pretty distraught and in a mess. And when I went over there, um, my job was basically to say a prayer with her as a deacon. I also brought her communion. And I remember the, for me, it was kind of ironic because it was during the March for Life that same day in uh, Washington, D.C. They were they were having their, their day where basically, I think it's about a million people go out, if not more, to the streets in D.C. And they, they, March for the cause of of life for pro life reasons, and as I was saying the prayer with her, I had mentioned that it was kind of I didn't know if the word was providential, but I felt that it was all providential. That it was during that day that a bunch of people were praying for all those women who can have babies and decide not to. And here I was praying with a woman who really wanted to have a baby. She was dying to have a baby, and she couldn't have one. And so I basically just mentioned that in the prayer. I gave her a communion. And I remember afterwards, we were all there just kind of chatting, and she said that she felt inspired to offer up the situation um, for all those women who could have children but decided not to. And she she chose it as like a victim moment to kind of to be a victim or offer her child up as a victim in reparation or in in maybe even help for these women for their their, their conversion because it's a it's an atrocity when when a woman commits an abortion and the amount the amount of prayer and supplication that is needed in that situation is, is unbelievable so she felt inspired for that and i felt about that big in her presence just because the way she was living that that cross and the way she was living that suffering for me it was it was it was so helpful because she was it was she was hurt you could tell she was so hurt but then in a moment she kind of transformed it and she was able to take that step, which, humanly speaking, is very hard to explain. C.S. Lewis had something similar when he lost his wife. Um, it was a crisis moment for him. It was one of the hardest moments of his life. And he wrote a book shortly after on pain and suffering. And in it, he says that um, if you add love to suffering, you turn it into sacrifice. So love is what makes suffering a sacrifice. And a sacrifice is what makes something holy. That's where we get the word it's sacred, sacro, and then facere is to make holy. So you make something that wouldn't be holy, 
something that could be a disastrous situation, something that could be, humanly speaking, extremely ugly and, and, and horrible and horrific, you turn it into something holy through love. So love turns suffering into sacrifice. And Paul Claudel, who also was a convert, like C.S. Lewis, um, when he walked into the cathedral in Notre Dame at his big conversion moment, he said, with suffering, it's very delicate. When people are suffering, you're not supposed to go in there and start giving them excellent ex explanations and, and like quoting Job and just starting to like say like how all oh, this is all like has a reason. You're supposed to be very delicate. And he said that God came into the world. He didn't come in when he came into the world. He didn't come in to eliminate suffering because obviously suffering is still present. He didn't come to explain it either because like he himself said, there's, there's really, when you're, when you're before someone who's really suffering something that just goes beyond human, human logic, you don't explain that to him. There's no explanation that's going to, that's going to justify or help that person in that situation. So he didn't come to take it away. He didn't come to explain it. Rather, he came to fill suffering with his presence. So every time anybody's suffering in some way, mysterious way, God is present to them. He's more present to them in their suffering than before when they weren't suffering. And it all, for me, hits home um, today with the three young young boys who are living exile. They're in, they're in Babylon. They've been exiled from the Holy Land. They're living in slavery. And they've been thrown into the furnace. And the evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, is thrown them into the furnace, so they're in there. And... All of a sudden, God appears in the middle because they were praying and their hearts never had left God from the beginning of the exile to the end. They were always, they had remained in God and they're praying to him and he appears in the hottest, the hardest moment of their exile. God's there and it says that there's a, a soft breeze that blows around and makes this little cavity for them to stand in. And that's exactly what happens to, to the Christian suffering. I mean, I know there's probably a lot of people out there right now with, with tremendous suffering. I know there's a, there's a couple that probably are listening right now that their son is bringing them through literally hell. Um, he's a self-destructive son that basically won't take any help. Drug and alcohol addictions, um, it's tearing their hearts out. They've done everything they could, and they've been doing everything they can to help them. They're people of profound faith, but he's, he continues to make them suffer. And it looks like there's no hope on the horizon. It looks like there's no help. Or, or moms that have that have suffered infidelity on their husbands, their husbands cheating on them, leaving them with kids and leaving them with extremely hard circumstances. Dads as well who have felt the infidelity of their wives. Any type of suffering. And it, the first reaction in us is to point our finger at God and ask him, where is he? What's going on? Where are you? Or how could this happen to me? How could you do this? There's no explanation. There's no comfort that can be coming in humanly in those moments. But I encourage you in those moments of fire and in those moments of, of absolute heart-wrenching pain to, to say, as Jose Maria Escriba said, who suffered tremendously starting Opus Day. It's an amazing story. It's a miracle that, that that work actually came out, which proves that it is the work of God. But he would always say, heart on the cross, when these moments would come, when he would feel that there was a contradiction or an intense suffering, intense pain, or something that you don't understand, even though you are strong in your faith and you've, you've been loving and praying to God your whole life, and then all of a sudden something comes in a contradiction. You say in your heart, you say heart on the cross, 
heart on the cross. And in that moment, God will fill the suffering with his presence. He won't take it away. He doesn't take it away. He doesn't explain it either. You won't get an explanation. Um, but he will fill it with his presence. And that's a promise. That is a promise. It's a guarantee. But you have to have you have to have that moment where you fill that moment with love. You fill the moment with love to turn the suffering into a sacrifice. And you can say anything. You can say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Or you can think of his seven words on the cross when he was in his, his deepest agony to turn the suffering into a sacrifice and to make it holy for redemption of your soul and for the souls of your loved ones. And to remember an also very important, powerful prayer is the salve, the Hail Holy Queen. At, and one moment we say, you're banished children of Eve. Turn to us your eyes on your banished children of Eve. Because at the end of the day, we also are exiled. We also are in, in this valley of tears. We're not supposed to be here forever. We're supposed to be here just like a couple of days. It's kind of in, 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 in hindsight of all eternity, it really is like a couple of days. And we have to take full advantage of the little time we have here so that we can push through as if it was this pilgrimage, make it through this valley of tears, make it through this exile so that we can get to the promised land where suffering disappears. It all disappears. And all the sacrifices that you made in this life will be like crowns. And it will make your heaven even even fuller. And everything that you live on this life will affect your afterlife. So I encourage all of us to turn these moments of suffering or any other great suffering that we have in our life into sacrifice, into an act of love, putting our heart on the cross, uniting us to the, sac to the sacrifice and sufferings of Jesus. And like our Blessed Mother, remaining at the foot of his cross, not running away, not fleeing, but fighting, fighting with, with our Lord and our Blessed Mother. Amen.